Uh, before I get into my message, I want to just put an exclamation point on Pastor Charlie's message last week. If you weren't here, you uh, must hear it. And uh, it was interesting, just kind of getting a vibe already this morning about the impact about that. Um, freedom and worship here at Keystone. We want to we encourage you to be more and more expressive and, and feel free to do as the Lord leads you. And from my benefit, that means an, an occasional amen when I'm preaching. I like that. All right. So feel free this morning. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of John a while, chapter 20. You know, Easter, when we celebrate the resurrection of the dead, although you wouldn't always know it, as Jim Gaffigan says, by some of the advertisements that we hear and the things that are uh, focused on in the run-up to Easter, uh, it is about Jesus arising from the dead. But that resurrection is joined at the hip to Good Friday. Um, Jesus said on a number of occasions some things that I think people who heard him thought were very curious. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've not come to bring peace, but division. Like they're scratching their heads. This man speaks so much about love and go, huh? What are you, what are you talking about? And yet when that horrific day came, perhaps as people remembered that, they thought, oh, maybe this is the kind of thing that he was talking about, that he got war, he got sword in spades on that day. He was arrested on bogus charges. The Jewish leaders, after examining him and beating him up a bit, took him to Pilate, pressured him uh, to do something about Jesus. Pilate shifted the blame to Herod. Herod was not having any of it, sent it back to Pilate, and Pilate's hand was finally forced by the Jewish leaders. He had him flogged. He was beaten, had a crown of thorns. Can you ever think about who was it that was entrusted with the job of weaving that crown of thorns? Jerusalem thorns are anywhere from three to six inches long. And to weave something like that into a crown to be thrust on that man's head had to be painful. Somebody had to get hurt in the process. And he pushed this down onto his head. They made him carry his cross through the streets. And by that time, he'd lost so much blood. He was so weak from the flogging. He could barely make his way down the street. Of course, collapsed partway to Golgotha. Taken out to the hill of the skull. He was crucified. He died. And he was buried. And all of his followers had to be wondering, what? Is this it? We thought that he was going to be the one to lead us into this glorious future for Israel. The two men that were walking to Emmaus that day, they told this stranger who had joined them, we, we thought he was going to be the Messiah for us. We thought that he was going to take care of business with the, Jew, uh, with the Romans. And instead he's dead. What was that all about? All the prospects of hope for the future, all this glorious stuff was going to come down the pike for his people. And yet he's dead. They might have remembered some of the other things he'd said, such as, I've come that you might have what? Life. And not just any old life, but life to the full or abundant life. He said that he had come to seek and to save that which was lost. He said that he had come to call sinners. 
sinners to what? Repent. And wouldn't those kinds of things mean that there has to be some sort of coda beyond dead? Does this all come to a screeching halt after three and a half years? Those two men that were walking to Emmaus that day and this stranger they were talking to about the things that, they had, that had transpired and explaining why they were so depressed and so down in the mouth. And they said, are you the only one that doesn't know all the things that have happened here? We thought this one was going to lead us into a glorious future. After he left like that, they said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We think we know who that was. And yes, it was the risen Lord. And that same risen Lord, a, a week later, he shows up in the midst of his disciples. One of them had hung himself, so there was only 11 left. And one of them wasn't there, a man by the name of Thomas. So 10 of them saw Jesus. They were behind locked doors, and he just, whoop, appeared. Thomas wasn't there. And so when they told Thomas about this, he's like, I don't think so. That's where we pick up the story. In John chapter 10, 20, verse 24. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. <clears throat> and they told him, we've seen the Lord. And in modern vernacular, he would say, yeah, right. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hands into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors again locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, look at my hands, and put your hand into the wound of my side, and don't be faithless any longer. Believe. That word faithless is the word believe. Don't be unbelieving any longer believe my Lord and my God Thomas exclaimed if anybody ever tells you the disciples didn't believe that Jesus was God take him to this verse my Lord and my God Todd, Thomas exclaimed and then Jesus told him you believe because you have seen me blessed are those who believe without seeing me here's the point People want proof. God wants faith. People long for proof. God longs for faith. People want to see proof. God wants to see faith. He, people value proof. God values faith. There were 10 eyewitnesses that came to Thomas and told him, we've seen the Lord. 10 men that he had served alongside in ministry for three and a half years with Jesus. Ten men that were Thomas's best friends. Sure, they quarreled and sure, they had little tiffs from time to time, but best friends. He trusted these men. He wouldn't have stuck with them for three and a half years if he didn't. And yet when they tell him that they've seen Jesus alive, he's like, no way. Can't be. I don't believe it. Ten eyewitnesses. I don't believe it. Now, you might think that was kind of crazy 
You might think that's irresponsible of him, but you think about people that you talk to and you tell the story of Jesus and they say, I don't believe it. You say, well, there were eyewitnesses. Yeah, I still don't believe it. What would you believe? I'd have to see it for myself. People want proof. God wants faith. So we got 10 witnesses, eyewitnesses over here. We got one skeptic, a guy by the name of Thomas, and he wasn't a train. Skepticism assumes that something is not true until proven otherwise. So the skeptic gathers data. They talk to the eyewitnesses. What did you see? Where did you see it? When did you see it? Under what circumstances? You investigate, you observe, and as the, the publisher of the magazine Skeptic says, you end, <clears throat> excuse me, you end up agreeing if the results are so compelling that, quote, reason demands agreement. Only if reason demands agreement, or we might say if reason demands belief. Now, the problem with that is that it puts, ends up putting faith in reason rather than faith in God. And don't misunderstand me. God has given you your mind. You are able to think. You are able to reason because God has given you a wonderful gift in your mind. My father has Alzheimer's. And, and I, when I look at him and I, I, I know the man he is now and the man he used to be, I think what a wonderful, glorious gift the mind is from God that we can, able, can think, that we can unpack things, that we can look at things and draw conclusions, that we can synthesize little bits of data together. Mind is a glorious thing, reason. It's a gift from God. But isn't God? Reason is a wonderful gift from God, but it, it isn't God. And we should say this morning that Faith is not unreasonable. Faith is not reason, but it's not unreasonable. Let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 a second. 1 Corinthians 15. You can check the pack. I can keep talking? Yeah, but they can't hear me. Oh, there we go. A little static interference here. My phone's down there. Uh, while she's doing this, did you hear about what took place in Sri Lanka this morning? Uh, there were six bombings of three churches and three hotels in, in uh, Sri Lanka. Thanks, Mindy. Uh, 190 dead. And they have canceled Easter services all across Sri Lanka because of fear of other attacks and my guess is that none of you came here this morning worried about what might happen. My guess is that none of you had to go through a checkpoint. None of you had to uh, arm yourself to make sure that you could defend yourself this morning. Eh, still got it. We'll, we'll work with it. Um, how about if we pray for those folks right now? Father, we do pray for our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka um, we don't know what's behind uh, the bombings. It's a political, religious combination of above. But we do realize that um, just by what we're talking about, Jesus' own death, uh, we realize that it's dangerous to follow Jesus. It's dangerous to stand for him. It's dangerous to proclaim the glorious message of the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And uh, we pray that um, you would comfort those who've lost loved ones. We pray that the churches would rise again. Uh, we pray that these would be opportunities in the wake of these calamities for the uh, people of God to, to show what it looks like to, to know Christ. Um, we pray for ourselves, Lord, that you would um, strengthen us spiritually and morally and just as we look at the world to understand that some of these kinds of things are going to land here one day, that increasingly we are looked at as a, a, a troublesome minority. And I, I pray that in the midst of pushback that we might be like Christ. As Isaiah says, that he, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He didn't, didn't say anything. He didn't have big quarrels. He simply lived for you and died for you and that we might be able to as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So this is the plan? All right. I'll try that. I might end up dropping this and just yell at me if I do. All right? I'm not accustomed to this. All right. So 1 Corinthians 15. So we're trying to make the point that um, reason is not God, but we're not saying that faith is unreasonable. Uh, verse four, uh, 4 through 8. Right, he's just got done talking about Jesus being raised from the dead on the third day, as the scripture says. And then it says he was seen by Peter. Jesus was seen by Peter and then the, by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have died. In other words, there are a lot of people you could check this out with, he's saying. And then he was seen by James and later by the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Now, if you just take the numbers here, so 500 plus people saw him at one time, re resurrected Jesus. Uh, Peter saw him, James saw him, all the, all the 12 disciples, uh, 11 disciples minus Judas, uh, plus several apostles. There were some beyond the disciples that were considered apostles. We're not really sure other than Paul who they were. It might have been Barnabas, might have been Silas, perhaps Apollos if he wrote Hebrews. But let's just say there were 15. So 500 plus rounded up to 520 people. So it's not unreasonable to believe these eyewitnesses. That's my point. Eyewitnesses. Why, why, why would we believe someone who says Jesus never lived or that Jesus really wasn't who he says he was when we have extant evidence of eyewitnesses that this is what happened and this is who Jesus said he was and this is what he did and he came back from the dead. Why would we refuse to believe them simply because they're eyewitnesses from 2,000 years ago? Not unreasonable. However, that being said, let's read Hebrews 11, verse 6. Hebrews 11, verse 6. And this is, the, uh, this is the kind of thing that we have to help people when we talk to them about Jesus. And they want proof. And, and there's, there's, uh, there are things like this verse I just read. There are evidences that we can give them to verify the truth of the th truthfulness of the things we're telling them. However, we cannot bank on trying to ultimately prove to them that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what, he, uh, the, what the Bible claims he did because of this. Hebrews 11, verse 6. And it is impossible to please God without what? It is impossible to please God without what? Faith. Faith. 
In other words, if God gave you all of the evidence that you needed to be convinced that Jesus was the Son of God, came to earth, born of a Virgin Mary, died a, 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 a sinner's death on a cross, even though he wasn't a sinner, and stood in our place, bore our sins on that cross, and rose again, literally came back from the dead, and lives forever now. If, if, if you could give all of that as evidence to someone you're telling the story to, and they said yes to Jesus, that's not faith. That's just a logical conclusion. You can give them evidence, but at the end of the day, they must, you must, I must, we all must have faith because without it, it is impossible to please God. And that was Jesus' whole point. Verse 28, John 20. You believe, Thomas, because you saw. Blessed are those who have not seen, who don't see, who won't see, and they will still believe. Every one of us have dismissed reports of things that we've heard about that turned out to be true. Initially, we just blew it off. That's not true. We all say these kinds of things. People tell us things, and we go, you've got to be kidding. We would never say to them, you're a liar, but it's the same thing. You've got to be kidding. That can't be. Steph Curry, uh, NBA superstar, back in December on a public podcast, said that he doesn't believe that people ever actually landed on the moon. I don't know if you heard this. And that conspiracy theory has been out there uh, for 50 years. Ever since we landed on the moon, people have been saying we, we filmed it in a studio somewhere. We never really got there. And, and let's be honest, who really knows that we landed on the moon except the guys that were there? Who really knows? I mean, photo, uh, photography videos can all be doctored or fabricated. I mean, even the guys in, in, uh, in Houston and the control rooms are still looking at stuff that could be fed to them that's imaginary. The problem with, with, with Steph, or not the problem, but the benefit to Steph Curry is that false belief didn't affect him negatively. Uh, other than getting a letter from, or an email from the, uh, one of the astronauts that was there said he'd like to talk with him. But it didn't have any negative effect for him. How about if we don't believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ? How about if somebody doesn't believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Are there any implications? If you might be here this morning and say, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good Christian and I, I love the Lord, but ah, that stuff about Jesus coming back from the dead, I don't really think too much of that. I want to take you to three different scriptures and I'll give you three reasons why the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died and rose again to save sinners like me, depends on the resurrection. It's not enough to say Jesus died for me. We're in 1 Corinthians, if you're still there anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. So this whole chapter is, uh, almost the whole chapter is about the resurrection uh, of the dead. Verse 17 says this. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is what? Then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. 
You want to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, but you don't believe he rose from the dead, you have a fundamental problem with your gospel. It's not a gospel that can save. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you're still in your sins. Only with the resurrection of Jesus Christ can God save us, for those of you who are filling in the blanks. Only with the resurrection can God save us. Now Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Second reason the gospel depends on the resurrection. Only by believing it can we be saved. It's a passage that some of you might have memorized. Romans 10, verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, say it with me, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Implication, if you don't believe that, you can't be saved. That God, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Only with the resurrection can God save us. Only by believing it can we be saved. And lastly, only because of it will we one day rise from the dead. Again, we're back to 1 Corinthians 15, beginning verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. And so you see, just as death came into the world through a man, meaning Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. And just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given a new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, and then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Now, if this was just a doctrine to believe, it would be one thing, but this is a doctrine that transforms. I would contend that if you're here and you love Jesus Christ and people around you know it, it is ultimately because there is a, we serve a risen Savior and not a dead Savior. Look at some, yeah, you can clap for that. Amen. I don't know, Charlie, you have really impacted these folks. Praise God. Acts chapter 4. Uh, beginning of verse 32. So this is in the early days after Jesus has gone back into heaven. And the church, the early church is just kind of coming alive and all kinds of interesting things are happening. And, and these people who have seen the resurrected Christ are changed. Verse 32. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had, just like we do. Amen? No amen on that, right? So they shared everything that they had with each other. Verse 33. Now listen. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. This is heart and soul of the message that the apostles are preaching. Week in and week out. Day in and day out. Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus is raised from the dead. Now, it's interesting. This was introduced by saying they're sharing all their stuff with each other. Now the apostles are preaching resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Next verse. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. 
Now, we've already, just weeks ago, we talked about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. Jesus told him he has to sell everything he has, give the money to the poor. And we've talked about that. Is that what Jesus wants you to do? Is that what he wants me to do? And we, we talked about some of the differences be, between this guy and hopefully us. Jesus knew that that was the premier idol in his life, and he had to get rid of that if he was going to follow Jesus. That being said... <laughs> This kind of self-sacrifice, this kind of concern for others, this kind of interest in the, in the work of God and other people and caring for, God, uh, caring for other people on behalf of God, the resurrection seems to have driven that. And so the resurrection seems to separate those who believe in Jesus from those who worship him. Those who feed the poor from those who serve the poor and love them. Those who want to be a little like Jesus from those preparing to meet Jesus. Tim Keller says this. I think this is so profound. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. And if he didn't rise from the dead, from the dead then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching but whether or not he rose from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, it changes everything about how you and I think. It changes everything about how you and I speak. It changes everything about how you and I say we love. It changes everything about how you and I spend our money. It changes everything about how you and I spend our minutes. It changes everything about what's important and what's unimportant and what's crucial value and what's not, not that big of a deal. It really does. If he's alive, if he's alive today, because he rose from the dead. I, I want us to pray, and, and I want us to just to give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ for having risen from the dead. You say, well, he was dead. He didn't raise himself. That's what the Bible says. Jesus says, I lay my life down, and I pick it back up. I raise it up. Jesus Christ is the only one who ever brought himself back from the dead. When you and I die, someone else is going to raise us from the dead. Jesus controlled his life, and he controlled his death, and he's raised from the dead. Let's just close in prayer. And I just want you to cry out to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks for the resurrection. And if you want to do it out loud, that's fine as well, quietly. We just want to give thanks to the Lord, rejoice in him, that today we serve a, a, a Savior that's not in a tomb, it's not decomposed, but it's seated at the right hand of the Father. Let's pray. And our amen is he is risen.